Hello, horror fans. My name is Jess. I'm Joe. And, and this, this is, is CamCat Cam Unwrapped. Hello, listeners. You have been listening to When the Night Bells Ring by Joe Kaplan, and I'm very, very excited. We have Joe here with us actually in person for only the second time in the history of the podcast that we had an author here in person, and I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, when the Night Bells Ring, I was about to say When the Night Bells Win, When the Night Bells Ring um, has won the bronze medal for the horror category in the 2023 um, Independent Publisher Book Awards, which is very, very cool. And I'm just so excited to get to chat with you about everything related to you and to your book. Hi, Joe. I'll let Hi you Jess. speak now. <laughs> Hi, Jess. Yeah. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be here. This is this is great. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're so excited to have you. Um, I mean, let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm Joe Kaplan. I am a horror writer. Uh, I've been into horror since I was a kid. Uh, it's just always been something I love, and I've also been into writing since I was a kid. So I kind of always knew I wanted to write horror. Um, I have a couple of horror novels out and a bunch of short stories. Uh, I also teach English and creative writing uh, at a local community college, and we do a gothic horror class, which is a lot of fun. Um, I... Play, I'm just listing things about myself now. I, play, I love it. It's great. I play cello in the orchestra where I teach, which is oh, also wow. a ton of fun. Um, and yeah, <laughs> those are some of the things that I do. That is so cool. I've been like writing. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down because I want to ask. So you've always been interested in horror, always wanted to be a writer. That is so neat. As a kid, were you even like... Watch, did you watch that kind of media? Were you reading those kind of Oh, totally. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The nod was very yeah. clear. <laughs> um, well, you know, I was a 90s kid, so it was Goosebumps, Are You yes. Afraid of the Dark, all, all that stuff. Um, and probably the way that I knew I wanted to write horror, I, I just think this is a funny little anecdote. Um, when I was a kid, like five, six years old, right? You're just learning how to form your letters, so I wasn't, I didn't know how to like really write but I knew I wanted to tell scary stories. So I was really into the Goosebumps books and I would just get computer paper and fold it together and staple it so it looked kind of like a book. I would come up with a title and draw a cover and then I would scribble all over the inside pages and I would walk around and read my book to people, but I would just make it up as I went because nothing was written down. Oh my um, gosh, but they, awesome. they were my own Goosebumps books. So I feel like at that point I knew I wanted to actually write horror stories once I knew how to write. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so on brand. I feel like already. <laughs> That's so great. Um, and then you mentioned also playing the cello. That is so neat. How long have you been playing? Oh my gosh. I started playing when I was like nine years old. So I, wow. I played all the way through college, even though I didn't major in music or anything. It was just something I wanted to keep doing. Um, and I was lucky enough that when I started teaching, the college I teach at has a community orchestra that pretty much anybody can join. And we're actually pretty good which is surprising Amazing. for a community orchestra. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a really cool thing to, to get to do. That is really cool. And how long have you, I'm, I'm gesturing with my hands because in my head I see the timeline, have you um, been in the community orchestra then? Um, I, it's been 
I think since 2017 or so. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, about six years. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I always wanted to be some sort of musically proficient and just am <laughs> absolutely not. So it, um, it, it just warms my heart to hear that people are doing it, that, like, people are out here with musical knowledge and talent. I feel like it's a great supplement to doing like writing you know because writing is obviously entirely focused on language and music especially orchestral music is not at all focused on language it's like a completely different creative outlet so when I'm like completely blocked up and stuck with writing you know I can I can turn and do and do some music and 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 it's just kind of a a, a different outlet which is nice that is so fascinating and that makes kind of a lot of sense, really, where, you know, your creative person would need to, like, have a creative outlet, and maybe there's a blockage here, so you just kind of bypass the blockage in your mm-hmm. other creative... That is so neat. I really love the mental image of that. As I said, not a creative person, so... Plus, there's a lot of creepy classical music out there, which Ooh, can set true. a really nice tone for horror. <laughs> Oh, I bet. Do you ever feel like, well, actually, this leads really well into a question I was kind of going to ask you anyway. Um, Is your writing ever inspired by your music or music you've played or by events or people in your life? So I don't think it's ever directly inspired by music, but I do sometimes find it helpful to get into the mood by listening to certain Mm. kinds of music. And there's so many different kinds of like creepy classical I'm focused on the classical here classical music although um not in the classical world I actually was just I just had a short story in an anthology that was like a tribute to the band Ghost um and every story in the anthology is like inspired by a ghost song so mine was inspired by the song Mummy Dust uh the anthology is called Tales from the Clergy and it was just a really cool and very different sort of uh project to be part of and I actually just saw a ghost in concert um a couple weeks ago and it was amazing so oh that is really really cool um I mean I know so it's so funny because I've now been doing this job for like two years and I still feel like I'll hear things from authors and I'm like I totally forgot that that was a thing, or I have questions about this. Now is a great opportunity to get them answered by someone who's sitting right next to me, uh, or at least that's how I'm feeling in this moment, rather than usually, because usually I have them on screen. So, okay, getting a short story published in an anthology, that is such a neat process for your short stories. Do you write a lot of them? Um, are antho- I guess anthologies are usually a couple of different people. Um, yeah, T- tell me about this short story. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, short stories are super fun to do because you know when you're writing a novel, it's like you're in this project and and you're and you're in it for a while. At least for me, it takes me like a year minimum probably to write a novel. Some people are faster, um, but you know it's such a long term project. So doing short stories like in between is a, a really nice way to separate from that and just like try something. You know, you can yeah. experiment and play with short stories because it's not that long project. It's just like a one-off thing. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's like not a big deal. Um, so I try to write a lot of short stories. I'm not nearly as prolific as, you know, other writers in the horror genre, but I usually have five or six short stories come out every year. Oh my um, gosh. 
Anthologies are really fun. So they are multi-author. So it's every story is by a different author. Um, and most of those I end up in because uh, I, I see the, the call for submissions and I think, wow, that sounds really cool. Um, I'm going to write something for that. And I submit it and, and see what happens. Uh, obviously, not everything is an, an acceptance. There's lots of rejection, too. But um, it's a really fun process when, when you get stories accepted and you get to see it come out alongside other writers who, like, you admire. I mean, I've been yeah. in anthologies with so many amazing writers, and it's like, wow, I get to be in this book with, with these people. Totally. So. That is really, really cool. And you said five or six, and given that you have other things that you're doing, that is pretty prolific to me. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, okay. I really, this is so great because I have these questions for you. I have them here. I have them kind of in my brain. And I feel like you're just kind of naturally leading me to the next one. So that's really great. Um, do you feel like um, your writing process for your short stories is similar to writing your big, you know, longer full-size novels? Um, and then what are those processes? I think that there's some similarity because I feel like the way I, I approach any story or come up with any story is, I mean, there's often a similar process there. Um, usually I kind of start with a concept and maybe a setting, some like fairly amorphous idea, like, okay, I want to write something like that. And then I kind of try to shape it into what looks more like a story and figure out who are the characters who would populate this story. Um, so there's always that kind of process of starting with the vague idea and specifying and reworking and figuring out what I want to do with it. Uh, with short stories, it's obviously a much shorter process. Sure. Um, I don't do as much planning. I usually have that that seed of the idea, maybe a, a sense in my mind of where it's going to go. And then I might just start writing it and kind of see where it goes and figure out where it goes from there. With a novel, I feel like I need to do more planning. Sure. Because if I don't, it can go off the rails and I'll <laughs> get stuck. <laughs> I'll be like, wait, where am I going with this? Uh, so whenever I start a novel, I pretty much always have the ending in mind, or at mm. least a sense of where we're going to kind of end up and, and then like the resolution from there, we'll figure it out. But um, I'm always like writing towards something with a novel. I feel like if I didn't do that, I would again just kind of meander and not really understand what the story is about. If I have a sense of where it's going, I feel like I have a sense of the story, its purpose, its direction, its momentum, and, and I can mm. shoot for that. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. So definitely you're more of a planner than a, than a pantser. Yes. I like to do <laughs> a, a decent amount of planning. I don't go overboard with like crazy detailed outlines or anything. And sure. I've experimented with like different types of planning from sort of a traditional outline to more of like a, almost a summary draft for like, okay, this happens and this happens just like as a block of text and then fleshing it out from there. Um, so I like to play with different modes of planning, but I do feel like I need that planning because I'm also a perfectionist. So if I sit down with the blank page and I just try to write from scratch, I'm, I often get stuck because I want it to come out perfect. Mm -hmm. And I mean, nothing's ever perfect. Even <laughs> when I revise it a hundred times, it's not perfect, but there's that, there's like that pressure that I kind of put on myself. Sure. Um, so if I have something planned or like a messy summary draft already, I feel like there's less of that pressure because then it's more about 
fleshing it out and almost re revising, which I like. Yeah, so we really put you in the hot seat when we put you in the challenge. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that challenge was so nerve-wracking, but it was also really fun. I mean, oh, I, like, I like... I like... It's good to challenge yourself, I think, it, and, and get out of your comfort zone. Actually, I did an event about a year ago at a bookstore, and... Um, I read a little bit from When the Night Bells Ring at this event, and somebody who, who was running the event at the bookstore had looked at my website and seen a blurb that somebody wrote after, uh, actually Jeff Rauner, he wrote it after he read this book, and he said, Joe Kaplan could make a bucket feel haunted. <laughs> and it was just a funny quote, so I was like, I'm, you know, I put that on my website. And so at the end of the event, he went to like the coffee shop area, grabbed this bucket, and handed it to me and said, can you tell us a horror story about this bucket? Oh and I God. was like, oh my God, you're putting me on the spot to come up with something right now. And again, super nerve wracking. I didn't know what was gonna come out because I had no time to plan. So I just started telling a story about this bucket. And it was like about um, somebody working at a coffee shop and hearing this clinking from the back in the back room and it's late at night after they've closed and it's clinking and clinking and they go back um, to the bucket. I don't remember how it ended up, if it was like, I don't know, there was teeth in the bucket <laughs> or something, but it was really fun and, and I think people enjoyed it. So yeah, it, yeah being put on the spot is nerve wracking, but it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you did, I mean, you tend to in general, but even in this little on Im impromptu improvisational <laughs> short story, you really build up some great suspense. So I just have to ask, since you mentioned you usually like to have your endings planned before you really get into the meat of writing, did you know, this was such a fun ending, did you know that that was where it was going to end up? I did. I was so, so excited to get to the ending, and I don't want to like spoil it or no, yeah. give anything <laughs> away, but... Um, Yes, that was an ending that I definitely was like, this is exactly where I'm going. So it was really fun, especially to um, write through Lavinia's character arc mm -hmm. and her trajectory to get, you know, from point A to point B. How does yeah. she transform throughout the experiences that she has to get to the point where at the end to get to the end yeah <laughs> yeah I really I it was one of those I've oh I've said this a lot on the podcast and I because I feel very strongly that I just really love when everything kind of ties together in the end and you're like oh oh okay now I get why this was here and this is here and and this was definitely one of those books to me that just did it so beautifully. And I've mentioned, again, on the podcast before, but even to you before this, and I think to all the challenge episodes when we did that too, how I'm just, I'm, I've never been someone who's really into the horror genre. I'm a huge scaredy cat, but I have really loved reading our Cam Cat horror books because they're just so well-written as stories. Like, they're just... They have all of the elements. Ooh, they have all of the elements of things that I just love so much in stories. So I'm a total convert. I'm here for the horror genre now. It's it's pretty great. <laughs> so thank you. Love that that was intentional the whole time. Um, that is really really so neat. So okay, you said aside from just like using music as kind of a thing to get you in the groove of writing. You don't typically have a lot of things um, that you draw from your real life for inspiration. Sometimes I do. Um, 
specifically with when the night bells ring, I, I did not. It was very much outside of any uh, experience that I've had or people that I know. Um, other, other things I've written, sometimes, yeah, I'll take bits and pieces of, yeah, my, like my own experiences or, or people that I know. Um, but, you know, I personally have never been to the Old West. I don't know anyone who has. So <laughs> um, it was very much writing from outside of my experience for this book, which was a lot of fun. Sure, yeah. What did you feel like was the hardest scene for you to write? You know, it was not so much about a specific scene, but in terms of the research, getting an authentic sounding voice for Lavinia, who is, you know, in the Old West character, and we're yeah. reading her diary. I had actually, funny enough, for a long time thought I would never write a historical novel because the idea of the research was too daunting to me. Not that I can't do research, but... The idea of, again, the perfectionist tendency rearing its ugly head, wanting to get it right, right? I want it to feel authentic. Um, and not having lived in that time period, I, I worried that I would not get it right, that it would not sound authentic. And mm. that was, you know, it's kind of daunting to me. But when I came up with the idea for the book, it just, it grabbed me so hard and I wanted to do it. So I kind of dug into all this research about well, what was life like in these like mining towns, in these boom towns in, in the Old West? Um, and then more specifically, what were women up to at the time? Because a lot of, you know, Western ask. stories are, <laughs> it's the cowboys, it's the men. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, well, this is about a woman. What's, what's she, what, what's she going to be up to? Um, so yeah. I, I read a couple of like diaries of women from that time period. And it was really interesting just taking in the voice. So, I mean, I did research into like details and, and slang and food and all, all that kind of stuff. Sure, so hopefully I got yeah. that mostly right. But it was the voice that I, I found challenging but also compelling uh, because I wanted her to sound like she was actually from this time period, but also make it readable, you know, for, yeah. a, modern, for a modern reader. Um, but I'm, I feel like I'm one of those people, too, who when I read something and really take it in, I, I just, like, feel the voice. I hear the voice. So when I was able to kind of take that in, um, it became really fun. So even though that was the biggest challenge, it was also maybe the most fun to write from Lavinia's voice and try to capture that, um, that perspective. Totally. Oh, I love that you just brought all of that up because I feel like that led to just a whole spider web more of questions that I want to ask you. So I'll start with the research aspect. Um, it sounds like you did a good amount of research to, to what, aside from, you know, the 1800s kind of period, Lavinia's period that she um, was in, what other kind of research did you do? Um, I, I would say it was probably mostly the historical research. Sure. Um, I did a bit of research on like, you know, what Native American tribes would be in the area to because there was that kind of little storyline oh, yeah. she goes off and, and meets with with a local tribe. Um, so a lot of it was that historical research and really just aiming for authenticity. Um, so I don't know if I got all the details <laughs> right again, but but I feel like creating an authentic experience is the most important thing to me. So whether or not all the details are completely 100% accurate, um, just doing enough research to make it feel authentic for the reader. Um, cause you want that buy-in. It makes, it kind of reminds me of, um, 
The movie The Witch. I don't know. You're not a horror movie fan. Um, no, The Witch. That's not the, the one. Witch. <laughs> that's not the one with the kids that turn got turned into mice. No, no. that's Witches. No. Um, so this was a period piece, like Puritan times, 1600s. This family is kind of ostracized from their town, and they go and live right on the edge of the woods, completely mm. isolated, and there's a witch in the woods. Um, and there's all sort, sort of like uh, religious panic that, oh, the teenage daughter is going to, is she's a witch, right? Because there's all the mm. accusations. Um, it's, it's a great movie, but one thing I think made it so great was there's this sense of authenticity, the dialect, the way they speak, right? Um, Eggers, I think, Robert Eggers, who wrote the movie, uh, did a ton of research, again, reading writings from the time. And uh, he wanted them to sound like people would talk. You know, because you see other things from that, movies about that time period, and it's like, oh, I'm just going to talk in a British accent. And it's like, that's not how they actually talked. Right. <laughs> uh, so I want the authentic experience. And I love yeah. that if you, you know, watch a clip of the movie or something, you'll hear, oh yeah, that's, it sounds so authentic. But, and, but it's that authenticity that makes you buy in and, and like sure. re even relate to the characters, even though they talk different than, you know, how we talk. Yeah. Um, I, I love that, that level of authenticity. So yeah, in, in most of the research that I was doing, it was just about achieving that kind of authenticity of experience. Sure. Well, I feel like so much of that is really captured when the author pays such close attention to detail. And I felt very immersed in the world because all of these little details that you clearly researched really well were incorporated into this world that you built. Even, you know, the, the present day, you know, sort of climate crisis, it, it felt so... I mean, poignant for other reasons, but uh, but just so I, you could visualize it so clearly. Um, so it was just really, really neat to see. To, I, well, it's really cool to hear the real intention that went into that, and I just always love hearing that that was a very specific intention that you researched and, and put heart and effort into, because I feel like as a reader, you pick up on that. You're like, wow, there is it lends to the believability. There's so much like work and heart that's put into this. So it's very, very cool. And then you also mentioned a minute ago and the uh, the answer that really just gave me all of the, the good feels um, about wanting to represent Lavinia well and, you know, the women in the story, which, you know, we're not sure on those, which is amazing um, in a way that felt real to them. And you had to do all this research on that. I loved that. I feel like there it's coming up more, which is great, but it's been so rare that you really get to see strong women as the pioneers in this case for, you know, literally and figuratively for a story like this. So, you know, what was that a, a, a decision you made from the beginning? Um, did you really actively want it to be strong female characters so that you know, it would represent something about women or, you know, in Lavinia's case, she didn't really have a voice in a lot of other media from the time. So was all of this intentional, essentially? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, basically, the short answer, yes, <laughs> it's intentional. But no, the long answer is, um, yeah, I was very much thinking about women and I, I love writing, yes, I love writing strong female characters, but when I think of strong female characters... I'm definitely not thinking of, like, the almost stereotypical, uh, oh, she's perfect and she's, like, 
strong, like literally physically strong right. and can do no wrong. I'm thinking more along the lines of like real people, yes. right? So, I mean, you could go in one direction or another with like a stereotype or a caricature where it's like the meek, submissive woman who's perfect or the strong, amazing woman who's also perfect, but nobody's perfect. <laughs> and it's funny I say this as a perfectionist. I'm like, nobody's <laughs> perfect. And honestly, I hate characters who are ostensibly perfect because they don't ring true to me. Sure. So all of my characters are always flawed, right? And I I mean, I love my characters because they're, I, I like to think they're real complex human beings. Obviously, they're not real, but... <laughs> um, but they all have distinct flaws. I mean, Lavinia is no saint. Uh, she hits her kid at one point in the book. I don't think that's much of a spoiler. But And she makes some pretty questionable decisions. Um, but she is also really well-intentioned. Um, she has struggled in many ways. She had postpartum depression. She is obviously a woman in a time when it's very difficult to be a woman, especially with all the hard labor that she kind of has to do just to keep up a home in that time and that place. Um, and really, I guess the same with the, the, the near future characters, the Dust Devils, Mads and Wainoka. Um, you know, they're trying their best, but they also don't necessarily make the best decisions and they're not sure. perfect people. Um, so... Yeah, when I was thinking about these female characters, it's really about rendering them as, like, tr true as possible, right? Yeah. Meaning in their complexity in and in their flaws, because that's what makes a character, I think, interesting and relatable to me, because we all have flaws. Absolutely. Well, and I love what you just said, too, about there really is such a, a, a box, you know, the stereotype of what a strong woman is supposed to look like. And whether it is, you know, the woman who's just very masculine and, you know, like has to present masculinely to be strong, um, she's usually very outspoken. And I love that I feel like in your book, but just in media in general, too, I'm starting to see the shift of like, we're all strong in our own ways. And, and you don't have to fit inside the box to yeah. be that. And I loved, yeah, I loved how your characters were flawed. I loved that. I felt like I could see them also gaining strength, too, over time. Like, they started strong, but then they just had this, you know, development, this shift into something that was strong in a very different way. Um, and, you know, specifically Lavinia and Winoka. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, and there are different kinds of strength, too. I yeah. think that, I mean, there's, you know, there's, like, emotional resilience and there's... Um, like the willingness to make a hard choice or there's like physically what, how, how far am I willing to go to, to protect the people I love or to survive myself? Yes. Um, so there, I feel like, yeah, there's all these different types of strength beyond again, the sort of stereotypical, I'm strong, I'm a strong <laughs> woman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, it was, it, it's just something that I, as someone who likes to think I'm a strong woman, you know, we all like to think we're the main characters of our stories, <laughs> and we should be the main characters of our own story. That's yeah. my PSA today. And you can be um, strong and vulnerable, too. I feel like that's yes. an important thing, because yes. the characters are also very vulnerable in the book. Absolutely. It's not like those are the, you can't, they're mutually, right. they're not mutually yeah. exclusive. Yes. Right? You can be strong and vulnerable, and I feel like that's something that I think is difficult for women to grapple with, especially, because, um, 
yeah, you're not necessarily expected to, it's not like it's allowed to be both. How can you be strong and vulnerable? But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and <laughs> speaking of that vulnerability too, I think that the narrator, you know, we've, we've been listening to the audiobook, really captured those like moments of I am a, you know, what here I am stand, and, and the different kinds of voices too. Just, I thought the narrator did such a wonderful job. Have you listened to the audiobook? Did you... Uh, what was your experience like? If you have, what? what yeah, <laughs> I've, I've listened to some of it, but I, I have to admit I haven't listened to the entire thing, mostly because I'm one of those people who, you know how like you cringe when you hear your own voice That's recorded? Yes. It's not like it's my voice, but it's my words. So it's hard, <laughs> to, it's hard to listen to just for that. But I love both of the narrators because there's the two. There was um, Rachel who did the Dust Devil section following mm-hmm. Winoka and... Um, Nicole, who did yes. Lavinia, and both of them did, I, I mean, from, from what I did listen to, which was wonderful, they both did such a great job capturing the feeling of the characters, the vibe, giving them personality, and yeah, like you said with Lavinia, there's like that certain kind of cadence or dialect yes. that she brought to the character that did, I, I think, really help with immersing you in the, the time period. Yes. Well, and yes, both narrators did such a great job. In my head, I was thinking Nicole just because I'm very oh, attached yeah. to Lavinia. But, <laughs> but yes, both the narrators did such a great job with that. And um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I totally know what you mean. That's why Gabe has, is always my hero because <laughs> I cannot listen. I can't edit these myself. I could, couldn't listen to myself talk over and over again. So um, I totally know what you mean, even when it's just your words and not your literal voice. I know, it's so weird because it's like, I want to. <laughs> but it's always cr- the cringe of, oh, I wrote that. <laughs> no, and, and you're, I know this story already. Yeah. <laughs> I know how it ends. Which, you know, shouldn't ever deter anybody, you know, for, from something that's so good that you want to read it or hear it over and over again, of course. You know, we all have those things we keep mm. coming back to. But yes, when it is your own word slash voice. <laughs> Definitely. At some point, I'm going to listen to the whole thing. I promise. But yes. Well. Um, is this your first audiobook? I know you have other book books out. Um, no, I have one other book. Uh, the one before this one is called It Will Just Be Us. It's a haunted house novel. There is an audiobook for that, too. And same thing. I never listened to the whole thing. I just <laughs> oh, couldn't. That's funny. But the narrator was also fabulous. So I've had really amazing luck with having just fantastic audiobook narrators yeah. so far. Yeah. Oh, that is really... I mean, it, I would imagine it's just like an extra cool experience, even if you're not really, you know, listening to the whole thing, just to have the clips of like, that's how I pictured it in my head, or that's not, yeah. but that's really cool, the take that they had on it. It's almost too, like, aside from cringing at my own words, <laughs> it's almost like it's too cool. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, it's amazing. Somebody is bringing my story to life. I almost can't handle it. Yeah. No, I I would be in your same exact boat. So, I yeah, that is really cool. Um, speaking of your other stuff, You've mentioned the anthology that you just had your short story published in. This book, remind me its name. It will just be us. It will just be us. Oh, okay. So I, I have actually this weird, feel like I've heard. I have this weird like five word five. Each word is one syllable title. It will I love just it. be us. When the night bells ring. I don't know why that happened, but you know, if that ends up being your thing, I think that's a pretty cool thing to kind of be Maybe. Well, your we'll author see. signature. <laughs> see what the title of the next one is <laughs> yeah yeah okay tell us more about your other stuff the, the thing that you're working on the other books and works you have out 
Um, so I just recently finished writing um, a new novel. So I'm between novels at the moment because I told myself I'm going to finish this by the start of the fall semester because I teach. <laughs> and I finished it two days before the fall semester started. Oh, nice. Okay, and you I did said, it. I did it. And I sent it to my <laughs> agent. And I was like, now it's now, now it's in your hands. Um, so I, I haven't heard back from her yet, but um, very excited. So it's nice to have that done because that one was way more of a chaotic process than Night Bells, um, which was fairly linear in terms of how I wrote it, pretty much start to finish, you know, revisions, all of that. This one was like, I don't know, I think maybe I needed to plan more up front because it was so chaotic. I wrote actually this really weird little, um, very, very rough 50,000 word draft for NaNoWriMo two years ago. I'd never done NaNoWriMo before, and I was like, I'm just going to try it. And it was really hard because I was forcing myself to put out just, like, write stuff that I wasn't happy with and mm. I knew kind of sounded like garbage. Um, but I wrote it, and then I looked at it and was like, this is, like, the concept, but it's not the story. So I went back ah. and totally rewrote it. I mean, it was, like, different characters, different situation, um, but the core concept was the same, basically. Um, group of group of friends in, in, in a cabin in the woods. I know Ooh. it sounds sort of stereotypical, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, so yeah, I completely rewrote it, and then I rewrote it again, and then I rewrote half of it. And it was just this recursive process of going back and going back. So it felt great to finally finish the manuscript and, and send it off. Um, I am excited about it. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm in the semester now. I'm taking a little break from novel writing. Um, but I had a couple short stories come out, like, over the summer, which was very cool. Oh, wow. Another really cool anthology I was in is called Shakespeare Unleashed, and it was Shakespeare reimagined as horror stories. Oh, that is really neat. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic book. So I wrote kind of a sequel to Hamlet. So Ooh. it takes place in, like, the late 1800s, early 1900s, that time period when, like, spiritualism was really popular. Um, and this mysterious benefactor brings a spiritualist medium and two scientists to Elsinore, Hamlet's castle, to mm. investigate whether it is actually haunted by all, all the Hamlets, <laughs> the people ah. who died. Um, so that was just a really fun story to get to write. Again, a period piece. So yeah. I kind of got to sink into the sort of like Victorian era style a little bit um, and play around with like the ghosts of Hamlet and Ophelia and, 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 and all of that. So it was a very fun story to write um, and just a very cool anthology. It sounds really neat. Yeah. It I love the, I, I mean, Shakespeare. So we all know at least some yeah. Shakespeare to some extent. So I, I, it sounds like a really fun thing to just be able yeah. to say, we all know and love this story or know the story at least. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't say love, but um, we all know the story. Here's this twist on it that is uniquely mine mm -hmm. on this story that is that it that people know that that's yeah. very recognizable and familiar. Mm -hmm. So I I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, I also love you just mentioned a cabin in the woods, and it's funny because I was just having this conversation with my boyfriend where uh, he's like, "We should rent a cabin in the woods." I was like, "Are you dumb? Nothing good ever happens in a cabin in the woods. Like I've never heard of people going to a cabin in the woods and being fine." <laughs> and he was like, "No, like people do that, Jess. Like 
it, it's, a, it's a real thing. People do. People rent cabins in the woods. And I was like, yeah, people who end up dead. Like, people who end up getting haunted by things and witches. Okay. Well, that's actually funny that you mentioned that because <laughs> the cabin and, and the, you know, all of that, not what happens, but the cabin in that book was actually inspired by a real cabin I visited. So a couple friends and I, I mean, never, I, never. I don't know how long ago this was. It must have been pre-pandemic. So it must have been 2019 or something. We went, you know, a, a group of friends and I, we, we booked a cabin. We went to Idlewild. Um, we spent the weekend there. It was also the weekend of, uh, it was a Friday the 13th. So we watched Friday the 13th and we kept talking about how we were going to be axe murdered. Oh my um, and, but it was, it was but yeah, we were fine, um, but it was, you know, this cool little like a frame. And so I kind of used that as the inspiration for just like what the cabin looks like in, in the book that I wrote. And also there was this, there was like a guest book. I think it was actually, the name of the cabin was Cleavage Cabin. Don't ask me why, but there was a, like the Cleavage Cabin guest book. And I was like, that was cool. And I actually thought when we were there, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was like, if these guest book entries were like all talking about some kind of haunting or some terrifying yeah. thing that was happening and nobody knows until they open the guest book and read all of this stuff. Ooh. So I incorporate a little bit of that actually into into the book that I just wrote too. Oh, that is so <laughs> neat. See, I'm a I'm a big camper. Like we all do dangerous or like potentially scary things every day. And camping doesn't bother me. None of the other scary things we do, we know we all drive cars, you know. That doll doesn't scare me, but the cabin is terrifying and I love the idea of being able to kind of incorporate the guest book into your latest story. The Woodkin is coming up on my list, which we just met AJ. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he's, a, he's a fun character, and his book genuinely seems so terrifying to me, and in part because I do love camping and being in the woods so much. So yeah. I think you'll like it. I read it. It's wild. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I will. I just have to get over the initial, like, heebie-jeebies that I, that I know I'm going to get the higgledy-piggledy, if you will. <laughs> um, okay, well, typically at this point, I would ask you, as our listeners know, um, if your book were to be made into a movie, who would you cast? And I would love to ask you that, too, but I'm going to shift gears quick, and I'm going to ask you a different question because I know that you have a, uh, a website called, it's called Booze and Books, Books and booze. Books and booze. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> um, where you match books that you're reading with different drinks. I was wondering if you could match your characters to uh, different cocktail or or drinks, beverages, whatever mm -hmm. your your heart desires here. Um, who you would match with with each drink? Ooh, I, I maybe I'll have to think about specific characters for the book as a whole. I've actually thought about this, and I I think I have basically two similar type of drinks because they're both whiskey drinks, which Ooh, just okay. feels very much like an Old West. Yes. <laughs> um, but one would be an Old Fashioned, which, I mean, it's such a classic drink. It's got the whiskey. It's got bitters. It's, you know, it, it just feels like the Old West to me, like that's something they would drink. Yes. Um, but for maybe like a slightly, I don't know, more modern, I don't know how old this drink is, but um, just like a whiskey sour. I love whiskey sours. Yes. I think they're, they taste really good. So yeah. that's probably, that would be my pick to pair with this book. Um, I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Uh, so definitely with any of the, the characters in the Old West storyline, we'll go with that. As yeah. far as Mads and Waynoka, 
Um, just drink some water. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, Those poor women are so thirsty. <laughs> Don't make them drink their pee. <laughs> no, that's fair. You know, I, I, I realize in, in hindsight, maybe the question wasn't the most sensitive to our leading ladies here, but <laughs> there's probably some kind of like water, like, I, I don't know, cocktail that like mimics water, you know, like a clear based yeah. cocktail. I'd probably have to look into it though, but straight I straight vodka, just straight <laughs> vodka, maybe with some blue curacao in there to get, I don't know, a little blue color. I'm, yeah. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> but you know, a kind of plastic water bottle just. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this is water, right? <laughs> I don't know that they would agree, but you know, I think that we can, for you know, for the joke's sake, <laughs> say that. Well, I'll, I'll give you some time to think about more if you want. If not, we can just move on to um, to who you would cast if, when the night bells ring, the movie were to come out. Mm, that is a really good question. Um, Honestly, I was thinking and thinking about who would be Mads and Wainoka, and I almost feel like it would have to be unknown actors. I don't even, I can't think of anybody specifically. Um, and I'm sure there are tons of actors out there. I can think of actors that, like, maybe remind me of them in some way. Sure. Um, for some reason, this is, I, I don't think it would work, but for some reason, I think of Natasha Leone with Mads. And it's a completely, I mean, it's not like the right ethnicity because Mads is, like, Mexican and... <laughs> Um, but there's something about her vibe. Uh-huh. Um, there's like the big hair and kind of the, the swagger that, I don't know, that makes me think of Mads. Um, I have to think more about Wainoka. But for Lavinia, I was thinking about this and I, I kept coming back to Elizabeth Moss. And I don't know if it's because uh-huh. of The Handmaid's Tale. Even though The Handmaid's Tale is like a dystopian future, there, it feels like a period piece because of the, the dress and the atmosphere sure. and all of that. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, so, so maybe something, something along those lines made me think of her. But I think also like the trajectory and like what she has done with the character in A Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale just makes me think that she could do a good job pulling off Lavinia. Well, and the same kind of like balance of vulnerability and strength that we were talking about, I think that she embodies really well. Um, When you said Natasha Leone, and now I realize that she's not at all who I was thinking of, (laughs) I was thinking of Leona Lewis, who's the singer. Hmm. Um, And I think she was on Broadway as well. Um, But I was like, oh, that's so funny that you say that because I kind of imagine her same like hair for Winoka. (laughs) Just just, like the same I don't there's just something about but there's an actress whose name I I I will never know, but I know I can picture her face, but I cannot picture a single thing she's been in. And she's usually been like a a minor character anyway. And she's got the similar Leona Lewis hair. And she is she is Winoka to me. Like I pictured her as I was going through, you know, I reading everything, yeah. but couldn't tell you her name. But I feel like such a fa- I, I was even looking it up. I was like, what is her name? <laughs> couldn't remember the show. I just see her face so clearly. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, you know, the, the darn. It's <laughs> okay. The yeah, darn. I mean, honestly, it's hard to, it's hard to just like pick things like that because I, I'm not a director or, or casting director or whatever. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. And, you know, they, they're able to find people who do such great jobs representing characters from books in that, like, you wouldn't expect. Like, um, or, or maybe that you not necessarily would expect. It reminds me of a 
there was an adaptation a few years ago of Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which is one of my favorites. Mm. Um, and every actor in that adaptation, I felt like, was just such, it was just like perfect for the roles of the characters. Crispin Glover was like the wacky uncle and... He was just fantastic um, in that because it's a quirky role. Um, and is it Thaisa Farmiga? I want to say, yeah, Thaisa Farmiga was the um, was Maricat, who the main who's the main character mm. of of the book, and she just really captured the sort of weird, offbeat, kind of quirky, but you know, just just such a really interesting personality. So. And I, you know, I, I didn't picture those actors when I when I read the book, sure. but when I saw the adaptation, I was like, wow, it's amazing how they captured these these people. It's so funny that you say that because I really feel like I resonate with that idea a lot where like when I was reading something, this is who I pictured in my brain. And casting directors have done such a good job of being like, I know this is what you thought, but here's what I thought. <laughs> and I end up believing them. I'm like, well, shoot, now I can only picture who you've casted as the person for this uh, for this role. So it's funny you say that because, yeah, I, I, I have a similar experience with that. Um, well, Joe, we are coming to the end. We still have a little bit left. Um, but before we start wrapping up, what are you reading right now? I just finished reading a short story collection, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's by Christy Nogle, um, who just recently won the Bram Stoker Award for mm. Best First Novel, her novel Beola. Um, a beautiful, like, haunting kind of ghost story. Yeah. Um, you would probably like it because it's not super scary. <laughs> but I love ghost stories. Um, but, I mean, it's just beautifully written. I'm, I'm so amazed by her, her prose. Uh, but anyway, I just read her most recent collection, which is called Promise, and it's a collection of weird science fiction stories, huh. um, and they're they're just like unique, totally strange little like snippets of ideas, um, and they I, I don't know. There's something about her prose that is is just so beautiful to me because it's it's spare and precise and not really. I, I feel like I'm a little bit more lush with my writing. So I love when somebody can communicate so much in so little. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just finished reading that. It's absolutely fabulous. And I'm not sure what I'm going to pick up next. I have so many books on my TBR. I love that. That's great. Well, I look forward to hearing more about what ends up making the, the next <laughs> cut, I guess. <laughs> um, and now we have come to the end of our show. So, Joe, we talked a little bit about it, but where can our listeners find you? Um, so you mentioned my books and booze. So that is actually a sub stack. So you can find me. Oh, my gosh. What is the actual URL? If you look for I think it's joecaplan.substack.com. I think that's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> all, all one thing. Um, so that will take you to my Books and Booze with Joe Kaplan substack. Or you can find me on my website, which is joe-kaplan.com. And I think we we already have those links, too, so we'll throw those in the bio. Um, social media or anything you want to be – any only where you want to be found, of course. No, you can find me on social media. I try to keep up, but um, my handle on most things like Instagram and Twitter or X is uh, Joanna Perry, J-O-A-N-N-A-P-A-R-Y. Um, so you can find me there as well. Amazing. 
Well, this has been so great. I'm so excited we got to have you in person in the studio. That's been so rare for us. So it's been it's been really such a pleasure to have you here. I'm so glad that you were able to make it. This has been such a fun conversation. Thanks for having me. And to the listeners at home, you know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can find When the Night Bells Ring in ebook, audiobook, and print formats on our website, camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can listen to CamCat Unwrapped on all major podcasting platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And make sure you follow us on social media at CamCat Books. Thank you all again for tuning in and unwrapping this book to live in with me and with Joe. <laughs> My name is Jess, and I will see you all next time here on CamCat Unwrapped. <laughs>